Well, good morning, Grace Life. How's everybody doing today? Good, good. It is so good to be here. I'm still feeling like I'm just getting back into the swing of some regularity after the storm hit, and uh, I don't know about for some of you, maybe it's the same. I know it's not as bad for us as it was for some of our brothers and sisters down in southwest Florida, and uh, I don't know if Steve's back today, but one of our lay elders, Steve Ekman, went down there. There he is. Hey, Steve. One of our lay elders, Steve, went down with Samaritan's Purse on a mission trip called Beyond the Storm to go down there and bring hope and help to the people that were in need. And I, I think he's going back uh, tomorrow, and, and so are Bill and Christy, maybe a few others. So keep them in your prayers. Uh, we're grateful to be a church who, who believes in being the hands and feet of Jesus. Amen. And helping wherever we can. Uh, that's what we do our charge for every single week, uh, that God has called us to be witnesses in both word and deed. So uh, let's pause and, and, and pray. Thank you, Bree, for that welcome. Thank you for sharing, sharing some scripture. Thank you, uh, worship team, for preparing our hearts for worship. We are back in Romans chapter 8. Just a, a few verses that we're going to dig into today, but there's so much rich, deep, and profound truth there. I'm hoping and I'm praying we'll get through this and get to the next section. I was wanting to finish... Romans 8, today and next week, uh, and then save chapter 9 for the next, next uh, few weeks down the road there. So let's, let's pause and pray together and ask God's blessing on our time, okay? Lord Jesus, this is your day. We are the sheep of your pasture. We acknowledge, today we stop, we want to just pause everything and acknowledge that you are God, that you are Lord, that you are sovereign, and that we are not you are controlling history. You are controlling our history. History is not a big circle, Lord, that's on repeat. It's linear. It's moving somewhere. It's being orchestrated and it's being controlled. It's, it's being controlled by you, Lord. You are, are on the throne of history and you are moving it toward its ultimate conclusion. And please help us, Lord, please help us to press more deeply into why that is such good news for us. It does not represent a threat. It is not to make us nervous. It is not to make us angry and shake our fist at you and protest and question. Um, it is ultimately, Lord, to fill us with hope and assurance and to comfort our hearts and to banish all anxiety and all doubt and all hopelessness and fear from our mind and heart, Lord. It's not these doctrines that are so precious, Lord, and also to some so controversial or not intended to be weaponized by us, Lord, or argued over, um, they are to be just bowed down before and, and to, to fill our hearts with gratitude and thanksgiving. So I pray, Lord, today you would help me to preach on these truths in a way that fills us with hope and encouragement. And I pray that your spirit would come, Lord, and illuminate us all. You wrote uh, these passages through inspiring the Apostle Paul, and you are certainly going to be the one who comes and helps us understand them and illuminates us to their meaning and, and helps us apply them, Lord. So convict us, challenge us, comfort us, help us, Lord, transform us, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Well, I know that many of us, one of, one of the struggles of our life is that we often feel passed over. Have you ever felt that way? Have you ever felt left out or maybe small or insignificant or inconsequential or that you've missed out, that you've been marginalized, that you've been rejected, that you feel maybe undistinguished? Chose all those words for a reason. I have certainly felt like that before and I talk to a lot of people that do. And there's actually a term now that is legit. It was put in the Oxford Dictionary in 2013, and that term is FOMO. Have you heard of that? FOMO, F-O-M-O. -O. It's, it's a real deal. It, it stands for fear of missing out. Fear of missing out. So many people used that term and talked about that phrase that Oxford, I mean, you can't ignore when Oxford uh, makes something uh, lexical, puts it in the dictionary, and, and makes it official and legit and vets it. FOMO, it means, obviously, fear of missing out. And this is, this is how the experts and the professionals describe this. FOMO, it was coined to describe that anxious feeling that arises when you feel there is more exciting prospect that is happening elsewhere, and unfortunately, you're not there. 
Now, we can laugh and chuckle and FOMO, ha-ha, Oxford. Tell me you've never felt that way, though. Tell me you've never felt like you've been left out of something grand and sweeping and maybe even eternal and important that you've somehow missed out. It's going on out there somewhere, and you're not a part of it. You weren't invited. You were passed over. You were skipped. You were forgotten and left out. 56% of people who use social media have experienced this. 56%. That's interesting. That's a whole other sermon. <laughs> they didn't list how many Bible users uh, experience this, but I will tell you how many Bible users experience this 100%. Because I've been a Christian for a few decades now, and I don't know that I've ever met a believer who has not experienced some type of fear or anxiety or apprehension that they've been left out of the greatest thing in the universe, which is God's plan of redemption. These are people that maybe even grew up in church, who have heard the gospel, who have professed faith in Jesus, but there's just some uncertainty about them. Their, their assurance has cracks and it. it's, it's very fragile. It's hanging in the balance. They feel like, you know, if I do get in the kingdom on that final day when the seconds of my life are ticking out and I stand before God, it'll be by the hair of my chinny chin chin. It'll be by the skin of my teeth. I've met a lot of Christians that really believe that, and, and I want you to understand when we look at these passages today, this will banish that. It will completely refocus your perspective on not the hair of your chinny-chin-chin or the skin, skin of your teeth efforts that you put forth, but on God's sweeping plan of redemption and how you are acted upon. You are not the actor. You are those who are acted upon. It's God's plan. It's God's purpose. He is the main agent that is accomplishing these things, um, and they're certain, they're unbreakable, they won't fail. Not by the hair of your chinny-chin-chin. Chin, I've heard that a lot in my life, talking to other Christians. Man, I, if I get in the kingdom, it will be by the skin of my teeth. What is that, what is that telling you when, you when you peel back the curtain and look at that? So it sounds to me like you're trusting in something that's not really certain. Oh yeah, I just don't know, man, about my, my life, y your life. So what you're doing for Jesus, you're not sure it's, it's going to be good enough, right? Well, what's that? That's work salvation, isn't it? You're depending on something that you do. You're depending on your sweat, your blood, your effort, which will lead you to severe anxiety. Pedal faster, work harder, try better, do more. And it's never going to be enough. It's going to be this hamster wheel of Christianity, and you're always going to be there's, you're never going to be quite certain. You're going to lay your head on your pillow after a terrible day of devotions, chickening out when you had an opportunity to witness to Jesus, you're going to lay your head down and those doubts are going to come back to you. And that's why Paul wrote Romans chapter 8. That's one of the reasons. So that's the good news I have for you today. It's, this is straight from God. That's what I love about this passage. God is not hiding this. God is not hiding this truth, although we often miss it. Paul tells us in verse 28, we know. It's interesting, back in verse 26, he said, we don't know. <laughs> he says, we don't know how to pray as we ought to. Sometimes we suffer, we're groaning, we're so, we feel so dejected, so outcast, so apprehensive. We don't even know what to pray. We don't know what God's will in and all this. We groan. We don't know. And then Paul transitions in verse 28 to, we do know. There's something that we can be certain of, and God wants us to be certain of. And he's written it here, and he's written it multiple other places in the Bible. And God wants us to get it. In fact, it's interesting to me. Every time I read a passage about assurance in the Bible, it usually is in the context of the epistle that was written. And the author will say something like, these things I've written so that your joy may be what? Full. Because when you lack assurance, there's something else that's, that's the twin to that. And you lack joy. You are not enjoying your Christian life if you are lacking assurance. If you're not quite certain where you stand with God, and if your life were to end right now and you stood in the presence of God, would you be in or would you be out? Would you see the smile of God or the frown of God? Would you hear, well done, my good and faithful servant, or would you hear, depart from me, you worker of iniquity, I never knew you? That matters how you live your life. It matters tremendously. If you're like me, I don't like stories that end poorly, do you? And you know what's worse than me, that a story that ends badly is a story that doesn't end at all. It's, you're just left hanging on a cliff somewhere, and you don't really know. We're not sure. Man, I hate those things. I hate TV series that the ending is just one big question mark, and you're like, what? 
You spent all that money, and I spent all this time, and you end this way? Aren't you glad Christianity isn't like that? Aren't you glad this passage is in the Bible? How certain is God's plan of redemption for you? It spans all of eternity, eternity past and eternity future. There's no question mark. When I was a kid, there's these books that came out, and they were super popular. I guess for kids like me that just wanted to be in control, and it was called Choose Your Own Adventure. Anybody remember those? Choose, if you're my age, you're like, what are you talking about? Well, you're too young or too old then. That's okay. It was Choose Your Own Adventure, and you read the book as if it was you. You would just plug your name in, and Tommy sees the beast in the middle of the road. And Tommy pulls out his hatchet, and he approaches the beast. What happens if you choose to run at the beast, turn to page 83. I'm not kidding. This is what it said. If you choose to wait on the beast to come to you, turn to page 105. <laughs> and you would turn to those pages, and you would figure, <laughs> sorry, Tommy died, you know? <laughs> Aren't you thankful, man, the Bible is not a choose-your-own-adventure, because this is not really about you. You are not the subject. You are the object. You are caught up in something that's sweeping. You talk about the FOMO, the feeling of being left out, feeling of being undistinguished, feeling of being trash, feeling of, of, that you're missing out on something important. Oh, my word. <laughs> this is like the most glorious, sweeping, incredible, beautiful thing that has ever happened in all eternity. And to those who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose, you are a part of that. I guess I can say it this way. Let me frame this before I give you the outline. And I, I want to make sure I got, I got all, all of you and those of you at home too, okay? Ready? I want to ask you a question. What is the absolute worst thing that could ever happen to you? Don't answer it out loud. Because everybody, we, we've got that narrative, that script, we play it in our mind every day. And I want to submit to you that <laughs> that it's usually something superficial in the grand scheme of things. It really is. Even if, it's, even if it's related to somebody we really care about and love. I play it sometimes with my kids. What if my kids reject Jesus? What if my kids whom I love, my wife and I brought into this world, we're bringing them up as best we can in the fear and admonition of the Lord, training them, reading the Bible to them, not perfectly, having family devotions, not as consistently as we want to, all those conditions, but you say, what's the worst thing that can happen to me is to see my kids reject Jesus, or to hear that diagnosis, or to get that phone call, or to have that meeting that I dread so badly. We, we play scripts like, don't we? Let's be honest. Let me get in your kitchen. Don't you play a script of some kind every day of your life like that? What's the worst thing? So-and-so could walk out on me, or I could stay single the rest of my life, or I could be stuck in a marriage the rest of my life, or whatever it is, I could go bankrupt. We think that the, that's the worst thing that happened. I want to submit to you, you're not going deep enough. Do you want me to tell you the worst thing that could ever happen to you? Are you ready for this? Here's the worst thing that could ever happen to you. You could stand before God, and He could say, depart from me, I never knew you. And you could be banished and rejected by your creator. That's the absolute worst thing that could ever happen to you. There's nothing worse than that. Nothing worse. Now, let me ask you another question. What's the absolute best thing that can happen to you? Now, don't get spiritual on me. Be honest. What script are you playing in your mind? Man, if only this would happen. Don't we all have that? If only something good would happen to me. If only I had something good to look forward to. Guys, you're, you're, you're looking all spiritual and holy, don't we? Don't, what, how do we answer that in our minds? Man, if I just, if I got a raise, a big raise, like if they doubled my salary or tripled or if I won the lottery, don't tell pastor I'm gambling. If I won the lottery, if I was the Powerball and I won $6 million, I'd give it, to, uh, most of it to the church and we'd get a building and right. <laughs> What's the best thing in your mind that can happen to you? What is it? We all have this script. Well, let me submit to you that, that if, if you're going to be truly honest, you're probably not going deep enough there either. You know what the best thing that could ever happen to you is? What is it? To hear, to stand before God on Judgment Day, and to hear, well done, my good and faithful servant, enter into the joys prepared for you. Now, check this out, man. Do you know that the worst thing that could ever happen to you, according to this passage, and I'm talking to believers today, the worst thing that could ever happen to you, there's absolutely no chance at all that ever will happen to you because it happened to Jesus already. The worst thing that could ever happen to you already happened to Jesus instead of you, on behalf of you. It already happened to him. It can never happen to you. God's not going to do it twice, right? And listen, listen, the best thing that could ever happen to you has happened to you, is happening to you, and will ultimately happen to you because of Christ. 
when in fact you don't deserve that. The worst thing that could ever happen happened to Jesus, and the best thing that should happen to him, hearing those words, you'll hear those words. It was like this divine swap, this divine switch, right? Everything that Jesus accomplished on our behalf, we get the Medal of Honor pinned to our chest, even though we, we did none of it. We did none of it. Jesus paid it all, and we get all the dividends for it. That's, man, that's such good news. That, I mean, I'm 47 years old. It makes me want to do a, a triple gainer backflip off this platform. And if I splat, I splat. I'm going to heaven, right? <laughs> that's good news. It'll make you charge hell with a water pistol. And Paul, Paul just gives us just a small glimpse here for the next several chapters. He's going to talk about it. But he just gives us an introduction right here. So, um, as you know, promises are powerful, promises are important, so I'm going to give you three promises today that are like the Scud missile, all right? This is like the, this is the nuclear warhead for doubt. This is to banish all of your anxiety related to FOMO, fear of missing out on the greatest thing in the world, being in God's family, being in God's kingdom, spending eternity with God in heaven and His presence. So three points. Number one, God has a plan for your life. Now, I'm talking to believers, those of you who have believed the gospel. You've trusted in Christ, you've confessed your sins, and you're disciples of Jesus, okay? Number one, God has a plan for your life. Number two, he is actively working out his plan. This may sound so reductionistic and so simplistic, and you may chuckle in your mind, oh man, what a boring sermon. And maybe it will be. I mean, the guy that's preaching is boring, so maybe the sermon will be. But, but check this out, I want to tell you, this, this is, this is hope-filling, this, this is perspective-shifting, um, this is transformative, these truths are. That's why this is not only the greatest book ever written, the Bible is, I believe Romans is the greatest letter ever written, and I believe chapter 8 is the greatest chapter ever written in the Bible. Yeah, and I believe, guess what? Guess what I believe the greatest three verses in the world are, the ones I'm preaching on today. And next week it'll be the, the other ones that I'm preaching on. <laughs> so God's greatest promise, part two. God has a plan for your life, Christian. And I can tell you, it's much better than your plan for your life. That's good news. Say amen. Amen. All right. Number two, he's actively working out his plan. He's working it out. You're not. <laughs> right? You, there's decisions to make. There's plans to make. There's things to do, and we have instructions on those things. But ultimately, God is the one who is the acting agent upon your life. He's the one who's sovereign. He's sitting on his throne. He's not waiting on you to do your part. God is doing his part. He's promised us his part. It's certain. And, and third, his plan will not fail. Man, that's the best news in the world. God has a plan for your life. He's working it out, and it's fail-proof. It's fail-proof. So plan, plan one. Uh, point number one, God has a plan for your life. Look at verse 28 here. I'll put it up here for you. And we know that for those who love... Now, I already talked about this verse and another sermon, you can download that or get the notes. So, uh, man, this is so deep and so rich. It, it, you could preach on this for a year. Martin Lloyd-Jones, one of my favorite heroes, he's with the Lord in heaven, he preached. For those of you that may complain in your spirit, man, are we going to ever get to the end of Romans? Martin Lloyd-Jones preached 16 messages. No, 17. 17 sermons, and they were all over an hour long. Relax. 17 sermons on Romans 8, 28, 29, and 30. How about them apples? Stick that in your pipe and smoke it. Okay. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. It doesn't say all things are good because all things aren't good. There's a lot of things that aren't good. Mass shootings aren't good. Cancer is not good. Sex trafficking is not good. Hurricanes are not good. But this says all things work together for good. How does that happen? Karma, fate, luck, chance? No, God is the acting agent on this. God causes all things to work together for good. For those who are called according to what? His purpose. Now that's just another word in Greek for plan. God has a plan. All things in the world are working together for good for those who are called according to His purpose. God has a plan. He has a purpose for His people. He has a purpose for his people. What is that plan? Well, according to the next few verses here, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. What's God's plan for you, Christian? What's he doing with you? What's he changing you into? What in the world's going on? 
What's the, what's the plan? To be conformed to the image of Christ. Now, our men met last week. Uh, yeah, last week on Thursday night. And I told them, there's something that's true of every single one of you tonight, whether you realize it or not, whether you like it or not, whether you are actively participating with full knowledge in it or not. That is this. You are being formed into something or someone. You are being fashioned and shaped into someone or something. What is it? What does God want you to be fashioned and shaped into? The image of His Son. You know, we are all made in God's image, the Bible says. We are image bearers. Male and female, He created them. In the image of God, He created them. We were all created in God's image, and that simply means we were made to show the world what God looks like. How have we done with that? If somebody followed you around all week, would they say, man, there, now right there, that's a person of destiny, and they have showed me exactly what God is like. <laughs> the way they have spoken, the way they've treated others, the way they've suffered hardship, the way they handled that guy on the sidelines yelling at their son the other day, <clears throat> right? Would they say that? Now listen, we have, we have, we're supposed to, people are supposed to look at us and we're supposed to reflect God, but they look at us and they see a broken mirror so often, right? Because of the fall of mankind. We rebelled. We stood at the tree of knowledge of good and evil, and we chose good and evil on our terms, not God's. We plunged ourselves and all of the planet Earth and all of humanity into ruin and sin. And that's why earlier in this passage it says the creation was subjected to futility, to vanity, to decay, to death. So we are all image bearers, but we have distorted that image and broken that image. It's a perverted, distorted image, right? And so what has God done about that? Did he just wad up creation and throw it in the garbage can? He could have, and he would have done us no wrong because God's just, and he could have done that. He did not, though. What did he do? He said, I'm going I'm to repurpose them, right? He said, I'm, I'm going to recreate them into the image of my son. He sent Jesus to do what we failed to do in the garden, show the world what God is like perfectly, and then he is transforming us into that image. That's what God, that's, this is the secret plan. You wonder, man, what's going on? What is God doing? This is what he's doing. He is conforming you into the image of his perfect son. That's his plan. God has a plan. It's a better plan than our plan. It's a perfect plan. He's very good at it, and nothing's going to stop him from fulfilling it. And when we're thinking clearly, because we have the spirituality of a hamster usually, right? When we're thinking clearly, that's good news to us. That's who we should want to look like. Do you want to be more like Christ? Good news. God's working on it. You're like, I don't feel like he's going to. No, he's going to. You're going to look like Jesus. It's a done deal. It's a done deal. It's almost too good to be true, isn't it? Admit it. You're doubting it in your heart right now. You're like, I don't know, Tommy. I don't look like Jesus. Yeah, I know. I don't either. But listen, we're, we're moving in that direction. God, God, it's a certain, certainty. God has a plan for your life. And look, I'm sure we do too. Most of us have a plan for our life. But it doesn't take very long for that plan to tank or sour or to implode, Right? I mean, seriously, guys, has your plan ever gone right for one day even? Did you have a plan for this morning? How's that gone? <laughs> we, <laughs> I think my wife had a plan for yesterday, man. She had this big to-do list for our whole family. Everybody had their part to do, and then life happened. And I came home, and she was, <laughs> she, she was pulling weeds in the front. And I'm like, I thought one of the kids was supposed to be doing that. I thought my wife had a plan, and like, you pull weeds, you clean the kitchen, and like my wife was doing most of it. I think her plan like went at some point. But, but, but in the bigger picture, we have plans for our life, and it tanks. Or, or, or um, maybe you have, a plan, you have a plan for yourself. Or, or listen, if you're a parent, you have plans for your children because you love them, right? And you have a good plan. You want your, your children to be honorable and to be respectful and to, and to fear God. And, but listen, you can't control... Your children can't. Have you realized that? Those of you that are parents, I'll let you in on a little secret, secret today. I've got six kids. I cannot control them. I can discipline them and train them, and I can respond in ways that I believe are, are biblical and all that, but ultimately, I can't control my children. I can't control their emotions. I can't control the circumstances around them. I can't control their decision-making. So my plans are ultimately going to sour in my life, but, but the good news is that God has a plan, and that it's, it's not a serendipitous plan. It's not a random plan. This is a plan that God has had from day one. There's no plan B with God. You realize that, right? His plans don't tank. They don't sour. He doesn't have to reanalyze. 
The gifts and callings of God are irrevocable, Romans eleven twenty nine 29 says. God doesn't change his mind. God doesn't second guess himself. God has the same plan for you, Christian, that he's had from all eternity. This, this passage, it spans all eternity. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And then verse 30, and those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. So all the way from predestination, and the Bible says before time began, that's when that act happened, all the way to glorification into eternity future. God's plan for you spans all of eternity. Nothing can, de- nothing can derail it. God is sovereign, God is wise, and God is good. The three things were not, <laughs> especially the sovereign part, right? So he can control all the contingencies and the decisions, things that are out of our control, God ultimately is in charge of. So nothing can derail or hijack his plan. He never goes back to the drawing board. God never says, well, that didn't go well. The fall in the garden was not a surprise to him. Nothing in your life is a shock or a surprise to him at all. God works all things, even your backsliding, even your sin. God draws straight lines with crooked sticks. God makes even our evil to serve his good purposes. Who can say they can do that in their own life? It's not wrong to make plans, but this is what the Bible says about that. Check this out. Proverb 19.21. Many are the plans in the mind of a man, but it is the purpose of the Lord that will stand. Are your plans standing? God's will, they are. That's good news for us. That's good news. We don't like uncertainty. We try to predict the future. We can't even predict where a hurricane's going to make landfall, can we? We can't even tell with any, any degree of certainty the weather for a week or what the economy's going to do or what our health is going to be a week from now. So this is good news for us. Everything around us is uncertain, and we take that uncertainty so often and we apply it to ourselves spiritually. Well, I don't know what's going to happen. Yes, you can know what's going to happen, ultimately. The best thing in the world is going to happen to you if you're in Christ. You can be sure of that because God tells us, tells us that right here. So here's some other places that God's purposes are talked about. And it's interesting to me, usually some of the same words you see in here about predestination and being called. And another word that's used is election. Uh, you see those same terms being used in other places in the Bible when God's talking about his purpose and his plan for us. So check this out. This is Ephesians chapter 1. He chose us in him. This is talking about Christians. Paul was writing a letter to the Ephesian church. He chose us in him before the foundation of the world. So question, when did God choose you? When? Before what? Before he created the world. Before you existed. Before time began. He chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him. And some people say, well, I don't, that word chosen, man, that intimidates me. I don't like that. What about free will? What about love? It seems unloving. It seems unloving for God to make choices on my behalf without consulting me. But check this next verse out. In love, he predestined us. Isn't that good? (laughs) In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the, to the what? What's all this according to? The purpose of his will to the praise of his glorious grace. And listen, even down in verse 11, it says it again in, in Ephesians 1. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been, there's the word again, predestined according to what? The purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. That is ultimately good news. Predestination, guys, that should not be a scary word that freaks us out. It's never, we should, the Bible never presents this as a problem that we're supposed to come and solve. This is actually a solution. <laughs> Very good news. Now listen, I know there are probably questions all of us have when we talk about predestination, and we're going to get to that. But when Paul initially introduces us to, to these doctrines, these truths, he doesn't anticipate objections until chapter 9. Actually, chapters 9, 10, and 11 are anticipated objections to this doctrine that Paul spends three chapters working out. Isn't that incredible? He's such a great teacher. But initially, when he presents them, 
He doesn't deal with objections, and so I'm not going to do that today in this sermon. I'm going to present this as good news, a, a nuclear warhead for doubt to banish all discouragement and uncertainty, and then we'll get to the objections the way they come to us in this epistle, okay? So don't think I'm, oh man, is he going to talk about the 500-pound elephant in the room? Of course I am. I'm going to talk about it when Scripture talks about it. Right now, Paul just lays these out. He lays these out to fill us with hope, to encourage us, to anchor our souls, and to banish our doubt. So, when God talks about his sovereign saving activity throughout redemptive history, he always lays it down with his purpose, his counsel, his will, and it's ultimately going to be accomplished, and that's good news. You know, there's a, there's a verse that I see uh, on Christians' walls. I love the Old Testament, and this verse, you see it so often. It's Jeremiah 29, 11. How many people know what that says? It says, I think I have it in here somewhere. Do, I see, do you guys see it in there? Yeah, here it is. It says, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for welfare. Uh, that's not the kind of wel- welfare you would think of in America, by the way. Okay. <laughs> for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for welfare and not for evil. Some of you just got that. Plans for welfare and not for evil to give you a future and a hope. You know, I love that verse, but there's, there is a little bit, and it's the Old Testament. The, the revelation's not full, it's not complete yet. So there's a little bit of ambiguity there. Some people even debate, was this just for the nation of Israel? Or should this verse be transferred over to the church in the New Age now? Well, listen, whatever your belief is on that, I will tell you this. Whatever ambiguities surround Jeremiah 29, 11, uh, Romans 8 like, brings ultimate crystal clear clarity. If this is in 480, uh, this is in 4K in Romans 8, okay? Because Jeremiah, you say, okay, well, what are the plans that God has for me? What future is he talking about here? What hope is he talking about? Romans, Paul pulls back the curtain. He says, oh, here's the plan. Here it is. He's conforming you to the image of his son. He has foreknown you. He has predestined you. He has called you. He has justified you. And he will ultimately glorify you. That's, that's his plan. So if you love Jeremiah 29, 11, I'm with you. You're in good company. I love Romans 8, 29, and 30 even more. Because it's the clearer it is, the more I love it, man. I, I always have questions. What? What plan? What future? What hope? What welfare? And, and this is God's ultimate answer to that. So Romans 8, I say, is even better because he shows us, he tells us, we know the outcome, he spells it out. It's not vague, it's not ambiguous, it's not obscure. So point number two, point number one is that God has a purpose. It's a good one. Aren't you glad God has a purpose? Some of you, if you have a purpose and it's tanked, it's soured, Go down deeper and see God's purpose. Or maybe, maybe you're one of those people, you're like, I don't even have, I just gave up, I don't even have a purpose anymore. I just feel like I'm a victim of whatever cultural winds are blowing, and uh, I'll hoist my sails and catch it. I'm just not even, I'm done. I can just give up. Well, God has a purpose. God, that's good news for wh- whatever situation you're in. God has a purpose. Secondly, God is actively working out his plan. Man, this is so good. Check this out. We're going to go back and look at verse 29 here. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. I have a question for you. Who is the acting agent in all of these verses? He. Who's he? God. Not he, you. (laughs) He, him. Right? God. God is doing all the active work. God is moving. God is orchestrating. Winston Churchill, when World War II came along, he was frustrated because Parliament would not act quickly enough on the dangers he saw in Hitler and his ultimate solution. And Winston Churchill would come to Parliament, he would talk to his cabinet, and he would quote a poem called, Who's in Charge of the Clattering Train? He was trying to wake them up. He's saying, you're asleep. There's this clattering chain, and, and, and the, the poem ultimately ended, death is in charge of it. And all of you are the conductors, and you're asleep. I love, I love this because it brings in crystal clarity and clear focus up close. Who is in charge of history? Who is moving and directing sovereignly your life to its ultimate conclusion in Christ? God is. 
And it spans all of redemptive history. I know the point that we see him the most actively engaged is right here in this little blip, vapor of a life that we live in. But his activity spans eternity past and eternity future. God is the one who is actively involved at work in your life and in my life. And man, that is good news. It's not you. It's not me. It's not angels. It's not demons. It's not believers. It's not unbelievers. It's not the world. It's not plants. It's not animals. (laughs) It's God. He's the one who's doing all of the acting here. Listen, when things, when things start to tank and go south, what do we often say? If we're, if we're somewhere and paying money for somebody else's service and we're unhappy, what do we say? Let me, <laughs> let me speak to the manager, right? Who's in charge? I want to talk to the person in charge. I did that the other day. You'll be honest with you, all right? Actually, yesterday. It's still fresh in my mind. My son and I... My son and I went to Goodwill to get shoes for our kids, right? And that's not to elicit pity. We always, you know, get our, find good shoes there that are not, not very used and you save a, a ton. So uh, one of my sons was in another aisle and he came, came up and he said, Daddy, look at this. I go, wow, man, you never know what you're going to find at those charity places, right? It's, it's a pressure washer that has a little spinny thing that you can clean the sidewalk with. And it looks, it virtually looks new. And $14.99, I'm like, man. He said, Dad, I'm going to start a pressure washing business in the neighborhood. Which means I'm going to start a pressure. <laughs> you guys know what that means, don't you? So I'm like, this is great, buddy. It looks great. Let's take it up and, and see what they say. So we take it up there. And I'm like, hey, do you mind real quick? Can I just, can I test this? And they're like, ah, no, it's a pressure washer. You can't test it. We can't test that. And I'm like, well, how do I know it works? And they're like, you don't. I'm like, well, can I ask you a question? When, you, when, when somebody donated this or when you bought this, did you guys test it then? They're like, no. I said, all right. I said, can I ask you another question? If I buy this and I take it home and it doesn't work and I bring it back, can I get a refund? What do they say? No. Then what did I say? I want to speak to the man. <laughs> I said, look, I'm not one of those customers, I promise. I'm not angry. I said, I'm just confused. <laughs> I said, I'm just confused. It seems like there's no win here for me, but there's a definite win here for you. I said, this, you know, here's my son. I'm like, look. I said, here's my son. I just want a product that works. That's all I want, and it just doesn't make any sense to me. And so the, man, you know, the manager came, and she said, I'll tell you what, I'll give you three days. I'll sign the receipt. And I said, that's great. Thank you. I said, can I just be honest? It still doesn't make any sense to me. You should change the policy. Anyway, what do we, when things go south, when we're not happy, when we're confused, when we're angry, we want to know who to take our complaint to, right? And don't you love this? When things are happening in your life, and you're like, what are you doing? Maybe it's not going to be like the manager at Goodwill. There's actually a, a, good, a good reason for this. <laughs> Lord, why this, why, this, why this bill of health? This doesn't make any sense to me. I'm very sick, and I'm doing the best I can to be a good steward of my body and diet and exercise, you know, all things considered, right? You're like, why this? And God says, because I'm working out my purpose for you, and you're going to have to trust me. And if you need to complain, that's okay. I'm here. And I understand sadness. I understand grief. My son was a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. He's a high priest that's sympathetic. He understands. He has empathy. He gets it. He suffered the worst. What you're suffering is not even register on the scales of what my son did. But you can complain. You can shake your fist if you have to, like the psalmist did at times. Lord, where are you? What's going on? But ultimately, he's the one that you go to. He's the manager that you speak to. And he'll bring you right back to this with a hug. And he'll weep with you and say, look, I know it's painful. I know it's confusing. I know it's crazy at times. It doesn't make sense. And it's been the same for Christians throughout all the eons of redemptive history. But God is ultimately working out. He's ultimately working out his purpose for you. That's why all of these things in verses 29 and 30, they're bookmarked with verse 28 and verse 31. Verse 28 says, God is making all things work together for you. Even the hurricane that flooded your home and you didn't have insurance. Or the lady that I talked to the other day when some guys went to help patch up her house and it seemed so hopeless, we put a blue tarp over this gaping hole and she said, can you guys come in here? I just want to, sh- I want to show you wh- where the damage is. And we stepped in her house and she had carpet in her, in her bedroom, her master bedroom. Instantly, I smelled mold and mildew was everywhere. Wasn't it, Bill? It was terrible. And we stepped in her bedroom, slosh, slosh, slosh. This lady's sleeping on a bed. Under, carpet underneath it, and there's, there's two inches of water. And her cabinet is particle board. It's falling to pieces. 
And we said, did you, did you contact your insurance agent? She said, I did. Well, I have $6,000 deductible. I don't have that kind of money. And your heart breaks. Because you know our church doesn't have that kind of money to give somebody either. And it's like, what is, what's God doing? What is going on? If you're a believer in Christ, all things work together. All things work together for good. And that, honestly, when you think of people's health, that seems like a small thing, just a flooded, a flooded bedroom, right? Think of all the things going on, the hardships, the afflictions, the persecutions, the rejections, the death, the anger, the betrayal, the loneliness. All of those things, God works together. See, I've heard somebody explain Romans 8, 28. It's like the ingredients, and I hope it doesn't sound like I'm making fun. This is a, a, a preacher, that was a long time ago. He said, it's like the ingredients of a pie. It's like flour, oil, sugar, you know, cherries, uh, butter. What's the other ingredients? And he says, what's that? Eggs, thank you. Man, we got some cooks out there. And you say like, hey, here's this. And you're like, well, that's not good by itself. Like, but you put them all together and ta-da, you got this pie. I'm like, that's really, that's, that's cool, that's clever. But how about not eggs and butter? How about cancer and mold and your son died? That's what this is about. That's what this is about. Like the worst things that you could imagine. Not the worst thing because that happened to Christ. That's why this is such good news. This should banish, banish all discouragement. This should banish all, <clears throat> all doubt that, that whether or not, because sometimes those things happen, and maybe if we've been under false teaching, we're thinking, what have I done wrong? This is not, I thought Christianity like solved all these problems, and they all went away. And sometimes you look at the parable of the soils, and when affliction comes or pressure Flipso in Greek, it means the same word as squeezing a grape. When that happens, we think we've done something wrong. It's just, no, you're right where God wants you. He's conforming you to the image of a son, and it's painful sometimes. And it's confusing. We get bewildered. We get disoriented. And like, God, what in the world? I thought, I thought you loved me. I thought you loved me, and now this has happened to me. What in the world? And he says, hey, check the script. I do love you. I love you too much to, to let your life go according to your plan. I've got a much better plan than yours. It's not a deep core. <laughs> it's the main course. I'm putting you on the main course. God's not playing games. He has a plan. He's working his plan. And his plan is for you and I to be everlastingly magnificent. That's what it means to be glorified. And that means that God can take the bitter, unjust, cruel things of this world and use them to serve his good purposes. Well, guys, listen. I'm, I'm not even halfway through my notes. And that's good news for you because here's what I'm going to do today. I'm going to stop. How about that? You guys did not think I could do that. Man, everybody's smiling. This must have been a boring sermon. Seriously, I saw kids perk up and put their crayon down. They're like, did he? <laughs> so here's what we're going to do. This is, uh, I wanted to finish this, but you know what? I had a plan for this sermon today. <laughs> God has a better plan. We're going to stop right there because I don't want to shortchange you. There are some terms in here. There are some terms in here that require explaining. And listen, I don't know all the backgrounds that you guys had have had with different theological perspectives. There's some deep, rich, powerful theology in this verse, and it is, it is life-shaping, and it is transformative. And I don't want to just skip over it really quickly, okay? Especially when it comes to predestination. If you were to go on the internet, and listen, I don't recommend that you do this, okay? If you were to go on the internet and just Google predestination, yay, skippy, skippy, what's it going to say? You're going to get the worst of the most distorted and perverted and erroneous Exclamation, explanations of that mingled in with some good ones. And look, I'm not, I'm not under the pretense that I'm a perfect pastor and that everything you should listen to everything I say because I want you to read. I want you to, 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 to have access to good, reliable, trustworthy resources. And I'm going to put together with, uh, with Megan and Diana and Matt, we'll put together some resources. If you want to go deeper and you want to know my opinion on who are some solid guys and gals to read, um, but I don't know all your background, so I want to be a good shepherd to you. I want to be a good pastor to you and, and set these verses in a perspective that I think is healthy for you and is going to help you and not lead you astray or not, you know, so many people come to these passages and they get these words and they get really militant and they really get argumentative and they weaponize these things and they go around beating people over the head and trying to convert people to a system uh, 
instead, instead of to Christ. And so I, I don't want that to happen. I think that grieves the Holy Spirit, and I think it gives the church a really tarnished image. Amen? So I want to help us view these in light of the context. This is pastoral. The context for, the, for, for this theology here is pastoral. It's for people that were suffering intensely and needed comfort and they, they needed assurance. That's the context that Paul talks about, God's sovereignty, all things working together for good, you being foreknown, you being chosen, you being predestined, you being called, being justified, and being glorified. So we're going to stop right there, and I'm just going to end by saying, by saying this. Some of, some of you here today may be thinking, man, I wish, I wish those promises applied to me. It's scary to me to think about being left out. I don't want to be left out. Listen, my friends, here's the good news to you. This is why the Bible is such good news, because Jesus extends an invitation to you right now, whether you're at home or in these seats, right now today. I'll say it this way. Anybody can get in on this, right? Anybody can get in on these promises. All you have to do is open your heart to Christ to acknowledge with him that you are a ruined, undone sinner, and that you are unclean, and that you have violated God's commandments. You have broken his law, and because God is just, he can't turn a blind eye to that. God is just, and he's holy, and he has to punish evil. But you know what the Bible says? Christ came to save sinners. He came, Luke 19.10 says, to seek and to save those who were lost. Maybe you get caught in a labyrinth of, am I chosen? Am I one of the elect? Have I been predestined? Well, let me ask you a different question. Have you felt your lostness? Have you felt that you're a sinner? Have you felt that you don't deserve mercy? You don't deserve compassion? You don't deserve God's grace? That's the, that's the best question to ask. Have you felt like you needed God's forgiveness and God's atonement and God's redemption? That's, a, that's the best place in the world to be. And Jesus says, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest for your souls. My yoke is easy, my burden is light. And Jesus promises that all who come to him, he will cast out who? None. Nobody will ever, nobody will ever stand in the presence of God and say, well, you know, I tried to come to you and Jesus wouldn't let me. That is never going to be an excuse that's going to stand up and God, to God. It will be, you never came to me. You never came to me. So I plead with you today. I plead with you today. If you have not known these comforts, if you have not known the power of this assurance, don't wait. <laughs> don't, don't wait. I'll, I'll wait. I'll get right with God later. You don't have that promise that there is a later. Or that your heart will, will be open to God at a later time. Today is the day of salvation, the Bible says. Open your heart. Don't harden your heart. Open your heart and say, Lord, I need you. I want you in my life. I want this assurance. I want this peace. I want this comfort. Please come and grant it to me. Please forgive me. I confess my sins. I turn from them. And these promises are yours today. Amen. Well, let's pray, and I think our worship team is going to come, and we'll have a time of prayer and reflection. Lord Jesus, thank you for these promises. They are deep. They are powerful. They are profound. They are eternal, and they are for us. They are for us, Lord. This is not just some special treat for elite Christians who have put their life together and are maintaining the cause. Lord, these are for struggling Christians who doubt and who waver and who are filled with anxiety and apprehension and fear, you hold out these promises to us, Lord. They are ours in Christ. And I pray that we would know them today, we would enjoy them today. And if we don't, Lord, we would give our life to you, we would confess our sin, we would believe the good news that Jesus is Lord, that he came to save sinners, he was God's son. He kept the law perfectly on our behalf and we broke it. He was crucified as a perfect man, he was betrayed, he was murdered, he was put in a grave, and on the third day he rose from the grave, appeared to his disciples and 500 others, and he ascended into heaven where he now is at the right hand of the Father making intercession for us, Lord. That is the good news, full gospel. You came to save sinners, Lord. We confess that's our description, Lord. We don't deserve your grace, we don't deserve your mercy, but you extend it to us. Because you are a good and compassionate God, Lord. And you're long-suffering and patient. You understand us. So I pray these promises would reach down in the, the very center, Lord, of where we have FOMO, <laughs> fear of missing out. And we will know we are a part of something amazing that you are doing throughout redemptive history. Because of Jesus, we lay all of our hope at your feet, Lord, and say thank you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.
We have a team of people in the back. If any of you would like to pray or if you would like to connect with us, we have connect cards. We don't pass an offering plate. You can leave that in the offering box on your way out. Or you can uh, go to our website and there's a tab at the top that says, I need prayer. And we have a prayer team that would love to pray over your needs and connect with you and meet with you and help you in any way that we can. But uh, if you'd like to go and meet with somebody in the back, this will be your time to do that. TJ's going to play. We're going to pray. And then we'll have some announcements in our charge. Okay? Depths I cry to you. In darkest places I will go. Incline your ear to me anew. In here my cry for mercy, Lord. my sinful ways how could I yet for forgiveness meets my gaze I stand
Father God, we just praise you, Father. And as we go through those storms, Father, we just praise you for being in control of all things, Father. Just open our eyes to your glory and your majesty, what you are doing in our lives through that stuff, Father. That sometimes we might just have to be an example of true faith in those situations, Father, even though it might not turn out the best. And we just praise you. And we love you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, TJ. Okay, we have a few announcements. <clears throat> um, yeah, I was thinking about just even this title, Engage, and how we engage here as a church. We do th the three things, right? We gather, we grow, and we go. And one of the ways that we grow together is by being um, connected to a community group. They're in full swing, but it's not too late to join a community group if you're, already, if you're not already in one. So um, please click on the QR code or uh, look in the app, there's, are, there's still plenty of groups. There's seven total. I think there's four groups right now that are still open. So please check those out if you're not already in a group. And our next one, we have our fifth Sunday service coming. So excited about this. This is our family worship um, gathering and then also uh, during our fifth Sunday service. Did I say Sunday or Wednesday before? Because my brain is like, what? Yeah. Fifth Sunday service. We have baptisms. We also have um, new members. If you are interested in, in being baptized, please let Pastor Tommy know. If you are interested in becoming a member, um, please let us know as well. In the lobby area, there's a shelf. It's a white shelf. As you walk out through the doors, you can't miss it. On the top of that shelf, there are membership books. Pick one of those up. Uh, that's part of um, what we do is we read this membership book, get together, speak with an elder, share our testimony, and then um, make a commitment to um, serve here in the local church. Um, and let's see, next one. That's it. I have one more that's not on the screen and before our charge. Uh, Joan Drake, where are you, Joan? Are you still in here? She asked me to share about an event. We are partners with the Central Florida Pregnancy Center, and on November 11th, there is an annual dinner. If you're interested in attending that annual dinner, um, you can speak with Joan or you can go right to the Central Florida Pregnancy Center uh, website and sign up for that. This year there will be a speaker, Dr. Tony Levitino. He's a former abortionist and he's sharing his perspective about why a physician who has been trained to give life would take it away. So if you have any questions about that, you can see Joan or go to the Central Florida Pregnancy website. Are you guys ready to say our charge? You're right. There is a chili cook-off. See, now you're cooking chili, so you should not have brought that up because then <laughs> ah, there is a chili cook-off. You're right. I didn't mention that. Maybe I wanted, you know, secretly Tommy's chili to win this year since it was rigged last year. Right, Tommy? So, yeah, chili cook-off. If you don't want your chili to be judged, which we're talking about getting some cool judges. We're hoping to maybe see if we can get... Uh, the principal for Delton High School to come, we still need to ask him, but we thought we would get some outsiders to come and, and judge the chili so that we'd know it would not be rigged. <laughs> right? So stand with me. Let's say our charge. Uh, let's say it together. And, you know, I'm just thinking part of the way that you can witness and go this week is share what you heard. This is such an encouraging um, message, you know, you can go right into um, the church app and share um, a blog post or go online and share the sermon, you know, through YouTube or Facebook. Uh, it's a great, great way to share um, this encouragement and this hope that we have in Christ. All right, let's say this charge together. I am a witness. I have been called to minister to my neighborhood in both word and deed. God has given me his word to equip me his spirit to empower me, and his love to motivate me. I pledge my life for the gospel. You have been sent. <laughs>